Those of you who are visiting, my name's Jonathan. I'm going to share the word this evening. And before we get into that, I want to thank every one of you that have gone on a mission this year. Um, we recently did a, like a reflection on where we are as a church. And one of the things that we celebrate this year is that we were able, Anna, how many missions did we send? Six, seven? Seven missions from our church. That is incredible, guys. And thank you for each one of you who signed up to go on a mission. Some of you have gone on multiple missions. May God continue to bless you to do that. But I want to encourage you, go on a mission. It's going to change your life. It's going to impact the area where you're going to go to. And there's so many other missions opportunities. So please do afterwards go to the info table and find out how you can be involved. Thank you, Yelisma, in nations. How you can pray, how you can give, and how you can go. We're changing things a bit around tonight. It's going to look a little bit different. Those of you who are creatures of habit, you're getting anxious because this is different. This is not how we do church. Okay, just, just, just relax. Okay. It's one Sunday. Okay. Maybe we'll do it differently next week. Okay. I'm not going to tell you exactly how we're going to do it. But tonight, it's going to be a little bit different. Okay. Uh, and I need someone, guys, would you just tap Seppo on his shoulder? I'm afraid he's going to lean back and miss the sermon now. So just to keep him awake. If you see he's just lying back, just, just tap him on the shoulder. It could be encouragement of praise. Okay. Um, because we're doing stuff a little bit different, I want to do an activation uh, exercise with us as a church this, uh, this evening. Uh, you would know we are busy with a sermon series called Undignified. Last week we paused our series. Jakob Oldewager preached here. He preached a powerful word. Uh, but today we're going to continue. And throughout this series of Undignified, we want to discover how does a lifestyle of worship look like. We want to learn what is a proper way to express ourselves in worship when we gather as a church. But we don't just want to learn about expressions of worship. We want to know how does when we gather as a church overflow to a lifestyle of worship. Because worship cannot be confined only to when we come together needs to be more than that. And the way we discover this lifestyle of worship, we look at the life of David. Because we believe that David had some mistakes and he did make some faults. He was not perfect. But there's something that he models about a person who sincerely wants to follow and obey and worship God. And therefore, throughout this series, we look at different accounts of David's life, and tonight we're going to look at an encounter early on in his life, uh, but we've also been sharing some of the Hebrew words that's being used as expressions of worship. We've done that through our WhatsApp groups, and we have done it through our worship sets as well, and this evening I want to start off by sharing one of those words. One of the words is uh, yada, and it means to worship with an ex extension of arms. Now think about this. This is probably the most natural thing for us as humans to do when we celebrate, we extend our arms. Just bear with me for a moment, and let's linger a little bit on Friday evening. Some of you are still caught up in Friday. 
If you've got a Springbok jersey, you're welcome to stand up in this moment. Listen. Listen, we're passionate about nations, but we love it when we beat New Zealand. And when we beat them in the way that we did Friday evening, it's worth celebrating. But you know what happened in our house, and I'm sure it happened wherever you watch, every time that the Springboks scored, what did you do? Yeah! Some of our kids were sleeping. We had friends there, we had to go, hey, remember, we have to do it in silence. You just, if you celebrate something, you lift up your hands. It is so natural. I tell you, at the end of the game, when our captain Siakulisi came up, and the whole Twickenham just started cheering, I had goosebumps. I was like, you are captain, our captain. Come on. Come on. It's just so natural to extend our hands. If someone were to threaten your life, what's the most natural thing that you would do? Extend your hands. An extension of praise is a celebration of God, but it's also an act of surrendering. We celebrate you, but we also surrender our lives. Yada. So I want you to turn to the person next to you and just want to loosen your arms. This is our exercise for the evening. We didn't start with worship. Look to them and you go, not da, yada. Not da. But on a more serious note, in this world, to what are you lifting your hands in praise? Metaphorically, in this world, to what are you lifting your hands in praise? And to what are you lifting your hands in surrender? Because all of us have something that we praise and all of us have something that we surrender our lives to. What are you lifting your hands to? In praise or in surrender? That's what we're going to look at tonight. And we're going to do this by looking at 1 Samuel 24. So if you have a Bible with you, I would love you to turn to 1 Samuel 24. And before we read 1 Samuel 24, we're going to quickly look at three verses in 1 Samuel 15 to give us a little bit of context to what's happening there. So you can, if you have a physical Bible with you, you can have those two places open, 1 Samuel 15 and 1 Samuel 24. So before we read together, let's pray. Yes, Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, we never want to become familiar with moments like this, with the privilege of having your word in front of us, Lord. And, and ne Lord, we never want to neglect um, that what you do and want to do through your word in our lives. And therefore, Lord, I pray for this evening as one that you would send your spirit and that you would grace us with your presence. 
We invite you, Holy Spirit, to guide us in your truth, to make your word alive and active in our lives, and to speak into those areas of our hearts and our minds that you want to address this evening. We submit ourselves to your will and the authority of your word. But Father, I also pray that you would protect us in this moment against any distractions and any lies, anything that wants to take away that what you want to do in our lives through your word and by your spirit. And Lord, as we submit ourselves and dedicate this moment onto you, we pray may your perfect will be done. And would you come and change us? Because Lord, we want to love you well. From our own strength, we know this is not possible. From our own will, we'll fall infinitely short. And therefore, Lord, I pray that by your spirit, that you would do something in us that will be an honor unto your name and will love you well. We thank you for who you are, Lord. We thank you for this, your word, and this moment. And we pray this in your powerful name, Lord Jesus. Amen. So we're gonna look at 1 Samuel 15. This is just gonna give us a little bit of background to the story that we're gonna read in 1 Samuel 24. Three verses. These three verses is about Saul. Now Saul is the first king of Israel. Up until this stage, Israel didn't have a king. There was different rulers, but they never had a king. And then the people said, we need a king. We wanna be like all the other nations. Up until this stage, God was their ruler, and they had to trust God and follow him, but they said, we want to be like the nations. We want a, a physical leader. And then Samuel was the prophet in Israel, anointed Saul as king. And 1 Samuel 15, a couple of years have now gone by, and this is now what's happened in Saul's reign. Saul has become prideful. He's grown in arrogance. He stopped obeying God. He stopped relying on God. He stopped trusting God's word. And everything became about him. His whole life was an act of self-worship. And at one stage, God has had enough of Saul. And he sent Samuel to Saul. This is what we're going to read. If you have time, go and read what happens here. It's a great story. But we're just going to look, look at these three verses. Verse 22. Does the Lord delight in burnt offering and sacrifices as much as in the obeying the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed is better than a fat of rams. Verse 23, because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. Verse 26, you have rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord has rejected you as king over Israel. You've disobeyed. You've become self-reliant. You're doing what is right in your own eyes because you've neglected the word of God. Because you're full of pride. God is rejecting Saul as king of Israel. This is a harsh word. Many times we want to hear a prophetic word but this was not a great prophetic word to hear. Samuel comes to Saul and says, Saul, you've missed it. Everything is about you. And please do go and read. After Samuel says this to Saul, Saul's main concern is not to turn back to God. His main concern is what will the people think? And he asked Samuel, would you come 
and sacrifice with me. Would you help me keep face in front of people? Exposing his heart. He's just been rebuked. You're prideful, you're arrogant, everything is about you. You're self-reliant. And instead of turning back to God, Saul says, just don't let me make, look bad in front of people. Sure. Meanwhile, God tells Samuel that he should go to the house of Jesse, and there God will show him the future king of Israel, and that he should anoint the future king of Israel. And he goes to the house of Jesse, and there he finds um, these brothers, and eventually comes to David, the youngest brother. Now, we don't know exactly how old David was when he was anointed, but we, we take and get an estimated guess that he was a teenager, roughly around the age of 15. At the age of 15, Samuel anoints him as a future king of Israel. And then we read there that the Spirit of God powerfully came on David in that moment. And then if you know a bit about the life of David, certain things started to fall in place. At one stage, you have this giant taunting God and taunting Jerusalem, Israel, Goliath. Everybody is afraid of Goliath. And then the shepherd boy who's there to visit his brothers that's in the army, there's a courage and a faith that rises up in him. And he goes, if he taunts God, surely in the name of God, I can take him. No one else in the rest of the army is willing to stand up to this Goliath. But David, full of the Spirit of God, slays Goliath. Everybody cheers. Amazing. <laughs> what a guy. He's starting to get favor amongst people. People are starting to sing songs about King Saul and David. How Saul conquered so many, but David conquered ten times more. And David's fame is growing throughout Israel. He starts to serve King Saul in different capacities. And as his, just his favor grows amongst the people, eventually he marries one of Saul's daughters. His life is on track to becoming king. But as this is happening to David, Saul becomes jealous of him. Saul is threatened by the way that David lives. Saul is threatened by the favor that David has and the fame that David has, and he's jealous of David's, David, and he loses it. And he tries to kill David. At one stage, he's trying, the Bible tells us, he's trying to pin David against the wall with his spear. Throws a couple of spears at David. Now, if you think you have a dysfunctional family, this is David's father-in-law who's not just threatening him, he's actively trying to kill him. So much so that David flees. And Saul is intent on killing David. That's the background of 1 Samuel 24. A fallen king is full of self-worship and pride. A future king being raised up. And then Saul trying to keep David from becoming the future king, trying to kill him. 1 Samuel 24, let's read together. And remember, David is hiding, he's fleeing from Saul. Verse 1. After Saul returned from pursuing the Philistines, he was told, David is in the desert of Engedi. 
So Saul took 3,000 able men from all Israel and set out to look for David and his men near the cracks of the wild goats. 3,000 men. Saul wasn't just threatening him. He was fully intent on destroying David. He came to the sheep's sheep pen along the way. A cave was there, and Saul went in to relieve himself. Meaning, Saul went to the bathroom. That's what it means. He wasn't sleeping, wasn't resting. He went to the bathroom in the cave. David and his men were far back in the same cave. The men said to David, this is the day the Lord spoke of when he said to you, I will give your enemies into your hands for you to deal with them as you wish. David is now faced with a decision. And if you're familiar with the story, just for a moment, pause. And try and put yourself in David's shoes. He has a decision that he needs to make. Is he going to listen to what the men are saying? And is he going to use the opportunity to kill Saul? I mean, Saul is defenseless. He doesn't even know David is there. He's actively pursuing and wanting to kill David. This is a golden opportunity for David to stop everything. Will he kill Saul? Think about what can David gain in this moment if he were to kill Saul? What would he benefit from the death of Saul? Surely the first thing that he would benefit from is freedom. Or at least the idea of being free. And the hope that the followers of Saul will not pursue his life. But maybe if Saul is dead, he wouldn't have to hide in a cave. He can go back to his family, go back to his familiarity. Maybe he can do whatever he wants to do. Maybe he'll have freedom. Maybe if he kills Saul, he will become king. Maybe. Maybe then Israel will anoint him as king and he will have power and authority. Maybe. He will have fame. The guy who killed this unrighteous king. Maybe people will understand. Maybe people will will honor him for doing this. Maybe. He might even think that if I kill Saul, I will find peace and rest. He might. There might even be a sense inside of him that if Saul is gone, then there will be joy for me. Then I can relax. Then I don't have to fear for my life. There's a lot of things that could benefit David in killing Saul. Let's continue to read. Then David crept up unnoticed. He cut off a corner of Saul's robe. Afterward, David was conscience-stricken for having cut off the corner of his robe. He said to his men, The Lord forbid 
that I should do such a thing to my master. The Lord's anointed. Or lay my hand on him, for he is the anointed of the Lord. Creeps up to Saul. He cuts off this piece of his robe, which is a sign of rebelling against him. And in that moment, the Spirit of God speaks to him. The Spirit of God says, don't. Don't go ahead with what you're planning. And, he, and we read that David is conscience stricken. And he turns to the men and he says, even though this guy is pursuing me and wanting to kill me, he's still the anointed of God. And it's not my place to take his life. If God has anointed him as king and God is keeping him as king, he is still the anointed of God. See, in this moment, there are three voices speaking into David's decision. Firstly, there's the voices of the men around him. These are the guys loyal to them. They follow them into this cave. And they are saying to David, this must be God, this is your opportunity. And then they reference, let's call it a prophetic word. Surely this is the day that God spoke of when he will hand these, your enemies over to you for you to do whatever you want to do with them. Interesting enough, we don't see that anywhere in the Bible. We cannot go and say, God, definitely told this to David. But he could listen to them. He could feel that pressure of performing and doing what they want him to do. How many of you would agree when you're making life-altering decisions, you want people around you that won't tell you what you want to hear but what you need to hear? In this moment, I think these men are telling David what they think he wants to hear and not need to hear. You want people that will point you back to the truth of God, not the opinion. But he could listen to them. He could also listen to the voice of his enemy. Because surely standing there in the cave and looking at Saul, he's reminded of Saul's murderous threats against his life. He's reminded of Saul's words that I will kill you and I will destroy you. Surely, looking at Saul, he hears his voice in his mind. This is the man who's going to kill me. A voice of fear. But then there's also the voice of God. A conscious, consciousness striking voice that says don't. What you're doing is wrong, David. To which voice would you have listened in that moment? See, if David chose to kill Saul, that would be his first step in becoming like Saul. If David takes this opportunity and he kills Saul, he deliberately disobeys God's word, where God says don't, where he deliberately disobeys, touching the anointing of God, that's his first step to become a king just like Saul. Disobeying God, 
doing what is right in his own eyes, not relying on God, not trusting God for an outcome, but taking things into his own hands, into his own matters, and everything would be about him in that moment, and he would be just like Saul. Disobeying, self-reliant. But to his credit, he chooses to listen to the voice of God. I try to imagine how incredibly difficult that moment must have been for him. Few of us have had someone threaten us with our lives. Threatening to destroy our futures, threatening to destroy everything that we love. I imagine how difficult it was in that moment to go, God, I'll obey. I'll obey your voice. And in that moment, David surrenders the opportunity to kill Saul. And he, in effect, he's surrendering his life to God. Just as David is saying, it's not my place to touch the anointing of God, David is saying, if that's God's will that he leads, it's God's will what happens to my life. And not only is he surrendering the opportunity to kill Saul, he's surrendering his life and his future to God. I believe every day we are facing a decision where we have these three voices speaking to us. Every day, each one of us face three similar voices. We face the voices of the world around us, the voices of the enemy, and the voice of God. Every day, in every decision, those three voices are speaking into our lives. The voice of the world around us tells us what will really make us happy. If you do this or you have that, then you will be happy. The voice of the world around us tells us where you can find joy and happiness. It tells you that's the ultimate pursuit of life is to be happy. To avoid difficulty, to avoid challenges, to do what is right in your own eyes, and to enjoy life. And then the voices around tells us how you can enjoy life, or what will give you joy. You will know better than me what are those voices around your life. What are the things that you think will bring joy to your soul. The voices of the world around us tell us what is real freedom. The ability to be whatever you choose to be and to live in whatever way you choose to live. That is freedom. Just do what you want to do. Don't let anyone limit you. Don't let anybody just keep you from reaching your full potential. Don't let anybody just place you in a box. You be who you want to be and do what you want to do. I believe it's one of the most unloving lies that the world is believing. I'm trying to think what will happen. If I tell my children, 
Just be what you want to be and do what you want to do. It sounds great, but that's not freedom. It's a recipe for destruction. In this ideology where true freedom is deciding what and who you want to be and do whatever you want to do, what it actually is saying is you have the authority and the ability to judge what is good, ultimately good. That ideology place you along the creator of life where you can decide. The voices of the world around us Tell us how does power and purpose look like. Tells you if you have a certain amount of money, if you have a certain position, then you will have power and purpose. And the voices of the world around us gives us a false sense of what will give us peace and joy. And therefore we give our lives to these voices. We surrender to the opinions and the pressure of the voices of this world. And in a way, we bow down to them. We give in. And we're just doing more and being more and, and just so that we have more. Voices of the world around us. But we will be ignorant if we ignore the voice of the enemy in this world. You would be ignorant if you don't think that the enemy of this world is fully intent on destroying your life. He's not going to pass you by. He's not going to go, oh, um, I don't want to pick on Tsepo the whole evening. <laughs> Abram, I'll use Abram. Abram, I'll pass him by. Nothing significant about his life. He's absolutely out to destroy. And every day, there's voices. Voices of the enemy that speaks fear and anxiety. Voices of the enemy that brings doubt about God and the nature of God, the character of God, the promises of God. Doubt about your relationship with God. Will God really come through? Did God really say, are you really a child of God? Do you think God will really do this for you? Do you think you're really loved? Do you think you deserve the promises of God? It's just voices of doubt. The voice of the enemy is covered with lies, lies about you and lies about God. The voice of the enemy is a voice of condemnation. Breaks you down. But every day, because of Jesus, there's a voice of God. Every day, because of what Jesus has done, there's a voice of God, the Holy Spirit, that speaks to us. That we're willing to listen. And if you're a follower of Jesus, you can hear the voice of God. The Holy Spirit speaks to our lives, and He brings conviction of sin. He's the one that is that conscious, consciousness-striking voice that goes, what you're doing is wrong. You're not called to do that. This is not who you are. Don't go ahead with what you're planning. He's the one that brings conviction. 
The voice of the enemy brings condemnation, but the voice of the Holy Spirit brings conviction of sin. It leads us back to repentance. It leads us back to God. The voice of God, of the Holy Spirit, leads us back to the truth of God and the Word of God. When everyone else around us tells us, this must be from God, the Holy Spirit points us back to the Word of God, the ultimate authority of God. It reminds us of God's truth, reminds us of God's Word. And the Holy Spirit is the one that reveals God's will to us. Now, I know you might be sitting here tonight and saying, well, well, I don't know if I can hear the voice of God. It's great hearing there's these three voices, but how do you hear the voice of God? And there's some great courses and trainings on how you can do the voice, hear the voice of God. And those things are, are, are valuable. But the truth is, if you have a relationship with God, you know when God speaks to you. You know when something is wrong. You know when the Holy Spirit goes, don't. Unfortunately, we're sometimes just so distracted and preoccupied with the voices of the world around us and the voices of the enemy that we miss the voice of God. The voices of the world around us is taking our, our attention and making us bow down to them and sacrifice onto them, and it's just keeping us from hearing the voice of God. And unfortunately, often we don't hear the voice of God simply because we're not listening. We're not slowing down to hear. And the sad news is, when we're not listening to the voice of God, it's our first step in becoming like salt. When we stop listening to the voice of God, we are just like salt disobeying God's will and His Word, becoming self-reliant, making decisions based on what we think is right and what will work for us, not relying on God for outcome, not relying on God's wisdom and God's understanding and His will and His guidance. We just take everything based on our own ability and our own strength, and we live from our own ability and our own strength. We become self-reliant, which is just another way of saying prideful, and ultimately, we become self-worship. Where everything is about us. If we stop listening to the voice of God, we're nothing more than soul. Hanging on to the privileges of being chosen by God, but not living according to it at all. So we need to ask, what voice is defining the decisions you're making? What voices are defining the decisions that you're making? David didn't try and save his own life. In that moment, he could have done it from his own strength, but he didn't try and save his own life. He chose to obey God and surrender his life and his future to the will of God. And then, and only then, did God save him. Then God saved him from becoming like Saul. And eventually God led him out of that cave. 
And eventually God did give him freedom. Eventually God did anoint him as the king of Israel. He became the king of Israel. And he did find pleasure in God and joy in part. And he did find peace for his soul in God. God did all of those things for David. But he had to obey. Every day. Every day we face this decision. What voice will define the way you live? What voice are you listening to? Jesus said to his disciples in Luke 9, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. This is a daily decision to follow Jesus. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever, wants to lo whoever loses their life for me will save it. We might define the scripture a little bit different tonight. We might go, whoever wants to do everything according to their will will lose. Whoever wants to be self-reliant will struggle. Whoever wants to do everything to protect themselves will eventually get hurt. Whoever wants to save their life from their own strength will lose it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very self? Another translation says forfeits their soul. We have a decision to make daily. Will you follow Jesus? Jesus said, the way that you follow me is you deny yourself. You die to self. Which is another way of saying you surrender. You surrender to the Lordship of Jesus. And you obey him. You follow him. Saying, God, I'm not in control. I don't want to be in control. I'm not holding on to this area of my life. I'm trusting you and I'm following you, I'm handing it over. You are God and I'm not. How do I respond? The reason why Jesus can ask us to die to ourselves is because he was willing to die. The only reason why we have the privilege to sit here tonight and go, I don't want to be so. I want to surrender my life to God. The only reason why we can do that is because Jesus was willing to surrender to God. He was willing to give everything up to die in our place. And if we're willing to surrender to Him, die to ourselves and follow Jesus, He saves us. He saves us from becoming soul. He saves us from the soul in your heart. He saves us from the pride of our heart. He saves us on self-reliance. He leads us into relationship with God. And in that relation, we experience true freedom, true joy, and true peace and rest. As we follow and listen to his voice, he's continually saving us to become more like him, to become the men and women that God has called us to be. He's the one that defeats the soul 
in our hearts. But we have to surrender. In our own strength, we probably don't have the power to kill the soul in our hearts. Therefore, we surrender to Jesus. This is how we are called to worship God. This is what it means to worship God. It's a means we choose to surrender. Because a life of worship is a surrendered life. When we surrender ourselves to God, we're worshiping God. Because it's not enough just to know about the holiness of God. We need to submit and live a life that testifies that there's one greater than us. It's not enough to acknowledge Jesus as Lord and Savior. Our hearts need to bow down to his lordship. And we need to obey him in this life. We have to surrender. It's one thing to say the words. It's something else to live a lifestyle that testifies to the words. It's not enough to sing songs of worship. We need to live a life of worship. And it's only possible when we surrender. Surrender, follow God. A surrendered heart is a worshiping heart. This is how our lifestyle of worship looked like. G.K. Chesterton said the following, when we cease to worship God, we do not worship nothing, we worship anything. We bow down to anything and we surrender our life to anything, including ourselves. When we cease to worship God, we'll worship anything. So what voices are defining your worship? Let's pray. I want to give you a moment just to prayerfully reflect. To what voices are you listening to? Are you listening to the voice of God or are there voices of the world influencing you? The voices of the enemy pulling you down, defeating you. What's the loudest voice in your life? What areas of your life are you struggling to surrender to God? For a moment, would you pray into that? And if God is showing you an area of your life that's not fully surrendered to Him, an area where that's defined by other voices than the voice of God, I'm going to use this moment, turn to God, say, God, I'm sorry. Almost like David stopped himself from continuing on that path, turn back to God and say, God, would you forgive me? Would you forgive me for elevating another voice above your voice? 
would you forgive me for trying to, to hold on and control this area of my life? But I'm choosing to surrender. Trusting you, God. I'm handing over to you. Would you help me to follow you? If there's an area in your life that you know God wants to address this evening, if you've been giving your heart and your attention, if you've been bowing down to other voices, I want you to do a prophetic act this evening, a response unto God. And I want to ask, would you stand and just raise your hands as an act of saying, God, I'm handing over. If that's you, would you, would you act? Would you take that step of faith? not just pray the words but prophetically declare God I'm handing over and Lord as people are standing lifting our hands onto you Lord this is us saying Lord we need you this is us saying Lord we don't want to take control we don't want to be self-reliant Lord we want to follow you. We want to hear your voice, Lord, and we want to obey you because we want to see your perfect will be done in our lives. And Lord, I pray for every person that's standing with their hands raised, Lord. I pray that you would now send your spirit and do that what we cannot see with our earthly eyes. Lord, that you would come and bring a transformation in their hearts, Lord. I pray that in this moment that you would lead them out of the darkness of the cave that they may find themselves in, Lord. And that you would come and restore and heal and break through. But Lord, may you come and show us what are you asking us to do. Lord, as we're surrendering to you, may you bring victory and healing in our lives. May you give us a humble heart that constantly seek you. May you give us ears that hears your voice. But may you give us courage to follow you sincerely. Would you come and save us from the soul in our own hearts? And Lord, I pray for every person that's standing, Lord, that your peace and your joy will fill them in this moment. Lord, I pray for us as a church that we'll not just be a church that worship you through words, but that we'll be a church that surrenders wholeheartedly to love and obey you. I pray this in the name above all names, the name that is worthy of all praise, and the surrendered Jesus, the one who is worthy. And Lord, as we look to you, we ask, Lord, may you be glorified through our lives. We love you, Lord. And all of us say, Amen. Let's stand. Let's worship God together.
Jesus, your Lord. 